Ready to begin? Uh, yeah, let's do this. Okay. Are we going to go through like our whole thing? I think and we should. Just act like... Do we just act like he's not here for a second? Well, I'm... <laughs> Yes, we'll act like he's not here for a second. Haven't you ever listened to another show? <laughs> I figured they just, like, edited it all together. Uh, I've listened to a couple shows where, like, the hosts are pretending the other person isn't there, and you can hear the other person, like, giggling at them. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. I enjoy it. How, how's your giggle, Liam? <laughs> I, you can do a pretty mean giggle. <laughs> Welcome to Bonus Experience. Welcome to Bonus Experience. We are a podcast with a deeper look at the play experience and the finer details of running and writing games. I'm Monica. I'm Ray. I'm the resident professional. I'm the unprofessional. Why do you always say that? That's very self-deprecating. I like it. Okay. I don't know. All right. But you're also a professional writer. Yeah, I guess. You have a book contract. I no. Yeah. No, I have an agent. I don't have a contract. Oh, okay. Sorry. That's big, big difference. Okay. Sorry. We're queer women speaking with authority about games. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And we swear. Die mad about Die it. Die mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so today we're- All right. Hey, we did it. Yeah, we did it. We did it. We did the whole thing. All right. We did cool. it without giggling. We did it without forgetting it. <laughs> I had it right in front of me this time. Oh, yes, so did I. So today we are taking a, a, a break from our usual format where the two of us natter at each other uh, aimlessly and the rest of you tune in for whatever reason. Um, and we are going to do an interview show. Uh, with us here tonight, we have Liam of Sandy Pug Games. Hey, Liam, please introduce yourself. Tell us what you're all about. Hi, I'm Liam Giddy. I'm a designer at Sandy Pug Games. I suppose lead designer. Um, I make RPGs, traditional like tabletop ones. Uh, that, that pretty much covers it, I guess. Yeah. Um, Liam, why, why, how'd you hear about us? Why are you here? Uh, well, that's sort of two questions. Um, yeah, yeah. The, I heard about y'all because uh, one of your partners is uh, part of the yearly exodus I make to, to Gen Con, the group that I like to hang out with there. Um, why I'm here is to talk about my either just launched or soon to launch or recently launched Kickstarter uh, for a game called Americana. So tell us, tell us all about it. Americana is a, a tabletop role-playing game where you play as teenagers investigating the murder of their close friend in a radically inclusive 1950s setting uh that is also fantasy so your your friend the jock might you know be a dragon person and you you are sort of not just exploring the the mall and and checking in on your friends down at the the local you know uh, a flood runoff, but you're also going to the the necromancer's tomb to see what the the proto goths are up to and see how they tie into the whole mystery and what have you. I like this a lot. A 1950s fantasy Americana style setting. Is right. That, do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. So like, imagine Greece or Rebel Without a Cause, but with fantasy elements, and also it's you're you're not going to get you know murdered for being not white middle class male i'm i'm digging it i'm digging it a lot um could you could you tell me something about the the system at the core of it i see on your um your drive through rpg uh storefront you seem to prefer powered by the apocalypse and fate mm-hmm. 
so it doesn't run on either of those two systems necessarily, but I would say that it carries over a lot of influences. It's got a lot of the DNA of Powered by the Apocalypse and Fate in it. Um, it runs on a system we developed for a game called Mirror, which was sort of our, our most popular thing up until the last Kickstarter we ran, uh, which is a game about playing as the person across the table from you. You generate a character based on your interpretation of them, their strengths, their weaknesses, that sort of thing. Yeah, the the actual mechanics behind the game, uh, the dice and the numbers and the crunch are pretty pretty uh, simple, pretty easy to grasp, pretty easy to play through. A lot of the the fun of the game kind of comes from the narrative mechanics, kind of like how in Dungeon World and Powered by the Apocalypse, the the math doesn't really push the system. In this, what you're going to be doing is you when you generate a character, they will have a list of strengths and weaknesses, and when you try to accomplish something, you will pick some strengths that apply. So for example, let's say you're trying to climb over a fence. You know, maybe it's a magically in, enchanted fence or something like that, and it's you're trying to get in there to get in the backyard to maybe there's a clue that that, that might be hidden back there. Um, so you'd look at your strengths and you'd say, okay, well, I'm tall. That's a strength that I have, or I am um, acrobatic, something like that. And you would take two dice to begin with. Two dice as you level up, that gets you get more dice and a strength. And you roll those, and then you roll them against a weakness that is selected either by you or the storyteller or anyone else at the table. And you see if you get more successes than failures uh, on those dice. And that's kind of the baseline where things start at. Things get more complicated because basically everything in the world has strengths and weaknesses. Locations do, uh, NPCs or other players, their stuff all starts coming into it. You can ask for assistance. You can ask for assistance from the murdered friend just ties into another mechanic that it called your dead friend that we'd like to talk about a little bit <laughs> all right i'm already intrigued uh so yeah it, like i say it's pretty mechanically simple you're rolling a bunch of d6s and seeing um if you get enough successes to succeed it's got the layered uh victory versus um failure like in dungeon world or powered by the apocalypse games where you've kind of got like catastrophic failure sort of failure sort of victory uh you know stupendous victory in this game we have a catastrophic failure so if you roll less than if you roll sort of minus one successes you know if you roll more more fails and successes on your weaknesses versus your strengths you will catastrophically fail bad things will happen if you roll equal then you have to argue debate negotiate uh for success you as the player have to say like okay, what if this happens, but I still get what I want? What if, you know, maybe the fence starts to collapse and creak, so I'm going to leave behind a trace that I was here? What if my clothes get caught and get torn? What if I make enough noise that the neighbors start coming out? That sort of thing. And then the storyteller and the rest of the table go, oh, that's a pretty cool idea. I like that idea. That sort of makes the story more exciting. Let's go with that. Or you get the big success. You did it. Thumbs up. Good job. I really like that. Yeah, I like the um, I like all the narrative impulse built into that. That's really cool. Thank you. Us here at BXP are big fans of uh, narrative-driven systems like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I, when I went through the Sandy Pug Games offerings on Drive Through, and I saw like all the Dungeon World playbooks, I got I got very excited. <laughs> Dungeon World is my favorite edition of D and D. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> so, um, you mentioned. Your dead friend. <laughs> and while we're mm -hmm. talking about mechanics, I think we should probably um, pick that one up because yeah, it's just a, too yeah, juicy to leave it alone. That's a good place to jump in with that. Tell us uh, tell us about this your dead friend mechanic, um, how it works, and why you included it. So 
Your Dead Friend kind of covers a number of mechanics in the game that are based around highlighting and the actual victim of the murder that incites this whole event front and center in the game. So when you watch a murder mystery show, when you read a murder mystery book, when you watch a film, the main character, one of the most important ones, is always the victim, right? Like uh, Amanda Palmer is the most well-known name out of Twin Peaks. You know, most Mm -hmm. people can name that. Maybe not able to name any other characters. Um, And so it seemed odd to me most games, when they attempt to approach this, don't put that character quite as central to the story, to the the mechanics even, as they maybe should. So Your Dead Friend covers our kind of approach to maybe try to fix that. Your Dead Friend is a character that you generate at the beginning of the game in a very similar way to how you generate your own characters. They get strengths and they get weaknesses um, and they get a number of ties to everyone who's sitting at the table and a couple of other people if you want to a character gen. Um, and throughout the game, um, tapping people for assists is a big part of the game. Trying to get uh, a dice from someone else to help you out to achieve something is an important part of how you can actually succeed in the game. Your dead friend is also a character you tap for assists. So if your dead friend has a strength that is relevant to the situation you're currently in, you can go, okay, uh, I want to get an assist from whatever the name for your dead friend is. At that point, the storyteller and the rest of the table, all combined, work with you to come up with a flashback, a sort of like a scene where you learned this skill or your dead friend demonstrated this skill to you or just a, a scene that might inspire however you're trying to get assistance from them so um let's say you're trying to sweet talk the principal right to to get out of going to school um well you might say okay well your dead friend has adult whisper as a strength so i'd like to tap that um i want to do a flashback scene so you do a flashback scene where maybe your dead friend sweet talk the principal to get you out of trouble at one point now you come back to the, you finish that out, everyone plays their, their roles, everyone at the table joins in and sort of makes it a, a real narrative scene. You jump back into the actual play, you pick up a dice from the Your Dead Friend sheet and get to roll that with your strengths. So throughout the game, throughout play, you and everyone else at the table builds up this history with the friend who has died. And it, it we find that it, it avoids that thing that a lot of role-playing games do where your characters all come to the table with a bunch of baggage already pre-made and so you're asking someone else at the table to care about your dead mom or like your burned village or whatever no one at the table is going to naturally care about that because they don't really have an investment in it but if everybody has spent the entire game building up this relationship all of these separate relationships with the character who's centered to this whole mystery we find suddenly everybody is very 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 interested in catching the murderer at that point i really love that like, I love the idea of a, uh, creating a narrative um, incentive for everyone at the table to buy in. Because you're right, like, uh, backstories are often I- imminently personal. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, nobody cares about your fighter's village burning down. Uh, can I ask you about the the strengths and weaknesses? You mentioned adult whisperer. Are, are strengths and weaknesses just, um, like, narrative tags you can attach that don't have any meaning until you assign them or do you have like a list of different strengths and weaknesses to choose from so it's a little bit of both every how i said that um when i said that the game has dna from apocalypse world and what have you one of those is that we have character uh playbooks so the jock for example or the nerd um i love it 
<laughs> these <laughs> these character these playbooks have a list of strengths. They have about ten right now. We're still playing around with the exact number that people are going to start with. Um, and from these, you pick your strengths. So the jock obviously has a bunch of strengths related to how good they are at sports, how good they are at athleticism, how good they are uh, socially, because um, the sort of stereotype jock is not just, excuse me, the stereotype jock is not just a you know physical person. They're often kind of the center of social circles and what have you. And you pick from that list and you pick the strengths that you have. And those are kind of written in a way that they can apply to a couple of different situations. We don't want to be too like laser focused, but they are also focused enough that you can't be using the same thing over and over and over again. The weaknesses you actually make up yourself whole wholesale. You write whatever you want there. The logic behind that was that weaknesses are really what makes characters super interesting and what makes them break from mold like stereotypes. Um, like the, the jock having a weakness makes them much more interesting than just the jock who has to pick from a bunch of stereotypical jock weaknesses. We also didn't want to, we wanted to avoid the thing that I think a lot of high school media does where they kind of um, vilify certain kinds of cliques, certain kinds of people by giving them sort of certain weaknesses. The obvious one I think for the jock is that if, if you were to write a weakness for the jock that comes right out of the box, you might write, you know, unintelligent in some way. And we thought that was kind of silly because there's plenty of very clever people who are super into sports. Maybe your jock is smart. Maybe he's doing sports for, or they're doing sports for a, a, a scholarship. You know, who knows? Um, so yeah, that that kind of a little bit of both. You've got a list of strengths and you get to make your own weaknesses. I'd like to chime in and point out that uh, I, professional game designer and big old nerd, was also a college athlete. See, there you yeah. go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was on the track team, though, which is, in fact, the nerdiest sport. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a really good example, though. I mean, that, that that we do the same thing for the artist and the, the new kid and the nerd. One of the things that was really important to us is that we wanted to build a game where there are plenty of gamers out there who are big sports fans. And oh, we yeah. didn't want to kind of, like, put those people on the outside. We also There's also plenty of gamers out there who are ginormous nerds. And we didn't want to be, like, weedy, you know? Like, plenty of nerds out there who got... Big old strong muscles. That's cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you how many members of my uh, gaming crew and like miniatures gaming crew uh, are super into fantasy football. Right. And like actually like fantasy football, not just like The Office made me play. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a weird Venn diagram that we gotta address at some point. Fan- the intersection between like tabletop gamers and people who like fantasy football. <laughs> yeah. That's a circle yeah. though, technically. Right? <laughs> Um, so I, you, you've talked a couple of times about like the the inclusivity of your writing, and um, I I, I kind of want to like dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Like fifties um, United States, like the 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 Americana setting isn't really known for its inclusivity. So mm-hmm. how how do you how do you approach it? We begin the book with it's it's basically like the second actual page of the book. This has a section called A Note on Setting. And it's still a little bit in the works, but I, I'm pretty happy with where we've got it right now. And it it very upfront says exactly what you just said. The 1950s were a bad time for a lot of people. If you weren't a very specific kind of person, you had a bad time in the 50s. And we don't want to shy away from that in the book. It's important to us that like we acknowledge that. We looked at how other games handle inclusivity, and especially inclusivity in settings that traditionally are a full of oppressive systems you know there's a lot of fantasy games set in medieval times and and the the sort of mythical past 
Um, and a lot of those handle inclusivity in a variety of ways. They ignore it is often the case. Um, they try to write a large amount of setting, background, and lore that justifies having a inclusive world. What we decided on was that we would just write the words, this world is inclusive, and that is how it is. There's no... There's, there's no sort of historical justification for why a 1950s aesthetic came up in this fantasy world full of dragons and goblins. There's no justification for why that 1950s just happens to also be perfectly okay with LGBTQ people and people of color and disabled folks. And we, f we feel, and, and uh, in play it seems to work out a lot too, that that allows people to create the world that they want to play in and gives people the freedom to play in it without worrying about those oppressive themes and those oppressive ideas coming up. The specific thing that we say is just that if you want to imagine how, how this world came about, imagine the human race basically developing along the lines of cooperation and togetherness and mutual understandings rather than conflict when they first collide with each other. Um, and we also say that oppressions and oppressive viewpoints can still exist in Americana, but they're on a personal level. In no situation are they allowed to be systemic. You can have a, let's say, a homophobic police officer in Americana, but you cannot have the police system be homophobic. It's just a, a rule just as much as how you actually roll the dice in the game. I think that's a really great approach because that then also lets people who want to engage with that as a character thing um, encounter that in the form of individual NPCs who are racist, who are homophobic, who are sexist or whatever, because some people find that interacting with that cathartic. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. And, but like, Maybe but the then you can also have room for those narratives. It's like, I don't want this to be about what's it like to be a gay vampire. Right. I just want to play a vampire that happens to be gay and not worry about it. Absolutely. Personally, as, you know, a, a, a queer man, when I watch 1950 stuff, I love the aesthetic. I love the clothes. I love the cars. I love all of that stuff. But it always sort of, it's like a pinprick constantly. Like, hmm, if you were alive, though. Yeah. bad times bad times for you buddy <laughs> this is how i feel about the early 20th century which is one right. of my like that's my aesthetic one of the things i'm really into like late 1800s so old west to like 1912 begin like world war beginning of world war one uh cool aesthetic steam stuff i don't want to go so far as to say steampunk because that's become a word that doesn't have meaning anymore <laughs> sure um Owls and gears. Owls and gears and <laughs> necromancy and whatnot. And octopi. Weird West stuff. Like, I love Weird West stuff. But, like, again, yes. yep. a queer woman. Uh, so, like, I feel you with that, that whole, like, you know. I wanted to if, make. If I really lived here, it would suck. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to make a setting that I could, I guess I, I call it sort of like, uh, like, like, I wanted to reclaim it, kind of. It was never ours to begin with, but I wanted to say, like, I wanted to kind of, like, plant a flag and say, look. These leather jackets are cool, and if you want to play as a, a jock orc who likes to kiss other guys, here's, where you, get, do. here's <laughs> where you get to be. It, it turns out lots of people do. As, as it turns out, that, that was a good move. primo. <laughs> Here, here's where you can do it, and if you, if you want to also beat up the, the racist cop, that's also allowable, and the police will not, like, defend them because the police are, like, at least if you want them to be, in this setting, they're going to treat you fairly. 
have you considered using that as like your byline like like on your <laughs> kickstarter like you can play a gay jock orc who beats up cops <laughs> like that would i think that would be a big hit maybe that could just be like the the description that you put it on the on the kickstarter i have a sort of explanation for what the game is but maybe i should just change it to americana you can play a gay jock orc who beats up cops <laughs> <laughs> So good. <laughs> the other side of this as well is that we wanted to um the lore is loose in in the game we wanted to add like a skeleton just so that people can pile the stuff on the actual creation of your town creation of your own setting is a big important part of the game but some people want lore some people want background so we went in and we, we looked at how all the species that we have in the game and we kind of went through and purposefully wrote what i think are pretty interesting um very positively inclusive ideas into some of them um one of my favorites is that like and a lot of them are, are written as as not directly but responses to some of the things that i see in the the role-playing game community when some companies try to be inclusive with some of their fantasy races um what that jumps to mind is recently there was a an elf style that was genderqueer and that was really cool it's cool to have the the representation but when you read into it it was like it's visibly obvious which elves are genderqueer and like they are like hounded out of society sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I read that I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of like dropping the ball a little bit there. Yeah. So like we, we wanted to kind of take some of those ideas and improve on them and make them better. Like a good example is our skeletons are undead. Um, undead don't have tongues or mouths, so they can't speak. So they communicate entirely through uh, sign language which we wrote into the backstory as something that every school person learns mandatorily. And so everybody in the setting can speak sign language. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> just, just little things like that's that. That's you know? really cool. Really I wouldn't cool. have thought of that. I wouldn't have either. There's some other wackier ones that aren't quite as like socially progressive ideas, like uh, our werewolves are sp space aliens. Okay. Uh, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> Also hear, cool, but you're all that apprehension in her okay. Like <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the mid-episode break. We want to say thank you again to everyone who has sent in emails and bought us coffee. Ray and I truly appreciate your support. This God damn it, cat, I'm trying to record a promo. This month we want you, our listeners, to write in with your favorite war stories, the good bad, the ugly, tell us all about your favorite gaming experiences. Hey, is it really a mid-episode break promo plug thing if I keep telling you the same stuff is coming out? Well, it is. October is going to be all interviews. You're listening to one right now. Then we're back on track with all that regular BXP bullshit you love. Speaking of things to love, check out this show. Hey there, intrepid adventurers. Do you suck at Dungeons & Dragons? Well, of course I do. Everybody does, until they listen to Honor Roll Podcast. That's right. I'm Ryan. I'm the curmudgeon. I'm Carrie the legend. And I'm Jason the favorite, also the one with the most dog hair on his feet. And we all host the Honor Roll Podcast, where we talk about tabletop role-playing games. We talk about mushing. We talk about LARPs. And we talk about everything, everything in, in between. between. We also sometimes say things in unison. <laughs> That's right. Hey, what's the only way to win at a role-playing game? The only way to win at a role-playing game is 
ways to have fun. I was going to say, listen to Honor Roll Podcast. You can find the Honor Roll Podcast at honorrollpodcast.com or on iTunes or any other place that your favorite podcasts are at. Aww. Right? We're also where some of your least favorite podcasts are at. I can only imagine. Who listens to least favorite podcasts? Not us. Not us. You shouldn't either. You should totally listen to the Honor Roll Podcast. Podcast. That's right. Wow. Because we talk about role-playing games. And how to be better at them. Bye. But yeah, we wanted to kind of like, yeah, I, I, it's little things like that, you know, like things that kind of, when you think about, oh, that kind of makes sense. And then the ramifications for the world are not just limited to that fantasy species. We wanted to avoid the idea that like the skeletons are the the deaf folks. That's what they are. Like if you're deaf, that's who you can be. We wanted to be like, okay, skeletons can't speak to each other and they can't hear stuff. So they need a specific thing, but imagine the the sort of knock-on effects for the rest of the world when everybody can speak sign language of some kind. So I like to think we did a pretty good job with those ones. There's some really, really cool setting ideas. Thank you. Like I'm I'm <laughs> like now my mind's going crazy, like, oh what well, I could play it. I'll play a skeleton. That sounds great. I don't know why anyone would play anyone other than an undead skeleton, because they're obviously the coolest. Gay- Gay jock orc. <laughs> like, you already had it. Leather jackets. That's fair. God, that's incredible. Greaser orc. Our gay jock orc is actually one of our face characters um, for the game. You know, when you make an RPG, Good. you've got to have a couple of, like, example ones. I, I love it. It was one of the first pieces of art done was this um, James Dean looking orc <gasps> in, like, the, the, the Letterman jacket and everything. And that was, like, one of the visions that popped into my head when this setting sort of started to coalesce. And oh my he's God. one of our faces now. <laughs> What's his name? I don't know yet. We need to come up with names for all of them. Um, and that's sort of the spot where I am right now. He is on the cover making out with his boyfriend, though, which is nice. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just on the edge of giddiness. This is, this is very good setting. We are, we are all very about... good world building. <laughs> we are also all about making it gayer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I, think, I like to think we started a pretty gay point, but uh, I'm always happy to hear uh, people developing my work along those lines. I'm, I, I'd be happy to hear what y'all do to make it even gayer. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep you in the loop. <laughs> At Sandy Club Games, we really don't think there's a ceiling for that sort of thing. It's all just about you know how far we can push that envelope. Um, it's, it says here you're planning to do some multimedia interactions to promote the game like what what is what does this mean what is this note <laughs> <laughs> i think that might be referencing the uh, audio drama that we're gonna make um so i'm gonna pass I, out from all the gasping you just you're hitting all the right notes yeah i, I copied that right out of your email like you were like i got some oh, multimedia right. stuff <laughs> so uh that, that those are your own words sir <laughs> fair point fair point um so when I, I made, uh, the last Kickstarter that I did was a game called Orc Stabber, um, which was kind of a, a goofy, fun little one-page RPG that was sold almost, I think, entirely on its presentation and on us doing some things that I don't think a lot of other role-playing game people have done before. Uh, and one of those that got revealed when the copies got to people is that we made an ARG um, for the game. You could go in and solve puzzles and what have you, and that kind of led to a bunch of special artwork and you could upload your own copy of orc stabber which were all unique in some way to to a web page that everyone else could go and check out and people really responded really like excitedly to that it was like wait what this one page like rpg made by an orc like who 
posts yelling and all caps all the time is like it's got an ARG that's super weird. Yeah, I'm I'm going through that reaction right now too. <laughs> I I'm, my face is going on a journey cuz I, I saw it. I was like, "Oh, that's that's adorable. That's really funny. It's like written from the point of view of an orc. Now you're telling me there's like a puzzle ARG involved with it too." It's pretty involved. Yeah, I was pretty happy to watch like people figure it out and it's still not quite complete yet. It it will be by the time this goes out. Um so I guess I can reveal it. So at the end of that ARG we uh, met the winners in a park, and we gave them a sword that we had made. Um, like a, like a real forged, sword? Like a, like a real sword? Yeah. <laughs> oh, a, like, a, like one made out of metal? Ah. <laughs> like a, a metal sword? Yeah, like a, like a metal sword. Is it like a nerf one. sword? Like, I can curse a nerf sword. That's... <laughs> yeah, that's... No, absolutely real sword. It seems like we're having problems with every part of this. Um, um, <laughs> That wasn't I, a problem. Have... It was a uh, surprise. <laughs> Monica, Monica doing, doesn't okay. know. We're doing a bit. Oh, okay. Um, so... No, I don't. I don't know anything. I'll share it with you later. Okay. Is this a funny video reference? Because it's yeah. a McElroy thing. Oh, okay. All right. So we took we took a sword. We had we just so happened to know a blacksmith, and that person just so happened to make a sword for us. And it's a really really cool orky blade. Uh, it should be up on my Twitter by now. Um, if anyone wants to go check it out. Um, and we gave it to someone in a park, and um, Lim Gomazar, the author of the book, said goodbye and left forever into his portal, um, into his homeland of Karak. <laughs> and so people respond. The, the The reason I'm telling this story is people were really, really excited about this sort of thing. This was like new. This was something not they'd never seen before. And so it got me thinking: we should do that all the time. Like it's it was pretty cheap to do the ARG. It wasn't very hard to like put it together. The sword wasn't even that, that expensive considering like the, the overall funds making the Kickstarter and everything. It was pretty easy to put together and it was unique. It was eye catching. And when you're a small publisher, when you're one person, when you're maybe two people, you got to do something different. You can't just be putting out a game like everyone else is doing. You've got to do something to promote it. So for Americana, we're doing something that I have some experience with. I've I've made podcasts and what have you before, and I'm surrounded by really incredibly talented actors. Um, and we're going to make an audio drama. The audio drama is called Tom's Not Dead, and it will follow. The pilot episode is on the Kickstarter, and it is a about twenty minute long, fifteen minute long episode following the a crew that you might play as in Americana discovering that their friend has been murdered and then doing the first preliminary investigations to figure out what the heck is going on. And we hope one of our stretch goals, an early stretch goal that isn't that much more than funded, so we're really hoping it makes it, is to produce this as a full um, six-episode series, which will follow the kids as they solve the murder, get involved in some you know risky business, do some races, maybe proms involved, um, and then hopefully catch the killer by the end of it. That's very exciting. Yeah, that is really cool. You gotta, you gotta slow down, man. <laughs> I mean, by which I mean, don't, don't slow down. Yeah, don't slow down. Don't do that thing. Just keep, don't listen to her. Keep going. I'll all, do what I can. This, all this is cool as hell. We haven't even gone on the other two settings yet, which I think might be um, a lot at this point. What do you mean? So, every Kickstarter's got to have stretch goals. Um, I'm not a fan of stretch goals in Kickstarters, but it is something that, you know, people like and it goes for and it, it's sort of useful to get the funds and people get excited about it um and it gives you a chance to play around with the system you've got so we've got two alternative systems that we'd like to or two alternative settings rather that we'd like to to do kickstarter um the first one is americana so 1950 still uh still fantasy except instead of a murder and solving the murder as a group of 
teenagers. You are all teenagers with attitude and you're Power Rangers. <gasps> and you are fighting evil monsters and you've got a giant robot that you all pilot. And yeah, so that's cool. Yes, uh, yes, got... yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is we've... crazy. She is just like, shut up and take my money. Just, yeah, basically. We've got a bunch of cool mechanics to make that work. I've got really cool ideas about how the giant robot's going to work out as kind of like a stand-in for your dead friend. There'll be a, a machine that you all are able to control at certain points. We've got some ideas about how like Super Sentai shows always have like an escalation of drama throughout them. They've always got like at the beginning, the main characters outside of their power suit and fighting a couple low-level mooks. And then they level up into their power suit and then they fight. Maybe they get a, a gadget or an ability and then they use that. And then ultimately, the giant robot has to come out. Um, and we've got some ideas about how to incorporate that into the game. We've got some really cool art and really cool sort of ideas about how those characters are going to like merge those 1950s fantasy uh, Super Sentai stuff all together. I'm really excited about that setting, if it wasn't obvious. <laughs> I think we're I both too. really excited about it, too, yeah. <laughs> I'm already, like, like I'm counting down in my head, like, who can I tap for who's going to play this with me? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I think I might be the only person I know who's into Super Sentai. I'm going to have to make some new friends. <laughs> the other setting is uh, we take the setting 10 years in the future, and we have all the same stuff, fantasy, uh, 1960s fantasy now. Uh, and you're all spies in some sort of stand-in for Berlin. It won't be literally Berlin, but, like, you will be in sort of, like, a a place where there's lots of spy stuff going down. And instead of a murder, you're unraveling a grand conspiracy with your, you know, orc friend who speaks in a Russian accent, that sort of thing. <laughs> you're so good at orcs. <laughs> I love orcs. I love just orcs so orc much. Just an orc specialty. Besides the undead, they're probably my favorite. I'm just, I'm floating in a pool of bliss right now. <laughs> great. I love everything you're putting down. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Um, so uh, since I've been like, like gushing over the setting and the world building, it all sounds so great. It all sounds so cool. How do you develop the world building along with the setting? Like, do they go like in tandem? Do you have the idea for the world first and then you try to come up with a setting to match it? How does, what's your process for that? Oh, I mean, I'm going to just straight up admit this. Um, Americana literally came to me in a dream. Um, oh, <laughs> I, I, you're the chosen one. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, mean, I, I woke up one day, like straight up, like eyes, like bolt open with this image in my head of an orc leaning up against a truck in a letterman jacket talking to like a sort of preppy person in like a like the the pink ladies outfits that they have in Greece and like there there was uh street racing going on in the background and i was like oh that's something right like that's <laughs> something i don't know what that is yet but that's something put that on the in the back um <laughs> and then like it took a little while to get to, to a point where we could figure out what to do with it and then even further to sort of build up the actual, you know, nuts and bolts of that thing. But to answer your question, yeah, the, the image came first and then everything else kind of like was a process. You know, we would sort of think about what what species do we want in this world? OK, well, let's think about like how many like what are the traditional ones? Who do we like? What's some like weird twists we can do on that? What comes out of those weird twists? Um, what like what fits the aesthetic in like an interesting way you know what i mean like we wanted the 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 um the werewolves were like a good example of this um the werewolves kind of look good if you think about them in like letterman jackets and leather jackets and like in those you know uh the the sort of 
1950s um, traditional women's clothes, like the the pink skirts and sweaters and all that sort of thing. If you sort of imagine in your head, they kind of look good. You know what I mean? They kind of have yeah. like an aesthetic feel to them. Um, and so that was that when it was a big way into how the setting and the world building kind of mashed together as you would sort of sit down and be like, okay, well, what what when you think about the the sort of three central conceits, it's the 1950s, it's fantasy and it's radically inclusive. How are you going to build around those things, you know? So you had like this beautiful set piece image that came to you literally in a dream. It it sounds real wacky, and but <laughs> no, like, that's, no, no. that's where it came from. That's how that's how it happened. This would be a good place for us to wrap up. Yeah, tell us about your stuff. Promote your Kickstarter. Okay. Promote your other works. Where can we find your things? Where can people who are listening to the show buy your things? So you can go to my Twitter, uh, Sandy Pug Games. Uh, you can also just plug Sandy Pug Games drive through into Google to find my drive through page where I have uh, Mirror, which I mentioned in the episode. Uh, it's a it's pay what you want, I believe, or $1. It's very cheap. Um, and we also have a Spanish version of that out if you, um, you know, if that's your native tongue. Uh, we have a, we have Orc Stabber out, which I also mentioned. You can go ahead and download that. We have an audio version of that um, as well. You can check out my Dungeon World Adventures, uh, which some of them have audio versions as well, if you prefer that. Um, they're all on my drive through page. For the Kickstarter, uh, for the game that we've been talking about this whole time, that's Americana. Again, punch that into Google, uh, Americana RPG. I'm sure it'll pop up. Uh, or I will send the the wonderful hosts here a, a link. I don't know if they have a, a means of sending that out. I'll also, if you check out my Twitter, probably be posting a link to it every five minutes, so it won't be long before you see that. One other thing about the Kickstarter is as well that if you are, I know there's plenty of gamers out there who maybe don't have a lot of money. Maybe they're a little broke. Uh, big Kickstarters are expensive. I totally get it. Um, I've been very broke myself. I am very broke myself. We have a um, $6 pledge level that, it, that gets you the PDF and all of the um, stretch goals and everything else like that for everyone who's under the poverty line. Um we all, we have ten dollars for the PDF if you're not under the poverty line. We trust people will sort of regulate themselves on that. Uh, this is an idea that I kind of lifted from the Dreams Askew uh, Kickstarter. I think it's a really important thing that maybe more designers should think about doing when they uh, write their games. Yeah, that is a great idea. That's very cool. Inclusivity often sort of begins and ends with like, um, you know, LGBTQ and and uh, people of color issues and that sort of thing. Um, but true inclusivity, I think, also includes um, the economic, the class uh, problems that yeah, we see absolutely. in the world. And so you've got to address those in some way. Uh, yeah, that, that pretty much covers everything from me. Um, so you can also check out my artist, uh, at Andy Supreme. Uh, that's Andy with an I. Uh, they are fantastic, and they'll be posting work-in-progress uh, pictures of a lot of stuff. Uh, right now, they have I have right in front of me the latest piece of work, which is a yearbook photo of a skeleton wearing a piece of paper over there um you know void where one of their eyes is and it says wink and it's got a little eye and <laughs> I, I just wanted to tell you all that that's what andy just posted because that's just beautiful it gives you kind of an idea about where we're going with this whole thing that is amazing <laughs> i'm sold some, some good work you're doing just the just the greatest work <laughs> <laughs> Godspeed. Thank you both very much. And it's been um, really awesome talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show and answering our questions and kind of putting up with us being kind of awkward at first. Oh, no, thank you two so much. You're welcome. Um, I, I, it's, it's not something that I think gets often said by people on podcasts, like the, like the guests. 
I've been trying to say this with anyone who's had me on, but y'all actually do a really, really great service of not just promoting the thing that we're selling, but also making me feel super good about the game. You know, like it's, it's, it feels great to talk about it. It feels great to get this feedback from y'all. And I just wanted to say thank you very much for, for talking to me about it in the first place. You are absolutely welcome. Yeah, it is our pleasure. You have enriched my life. She's got, <laughs> she's going to be the first person who backs this Kickstarter. That's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I think we're going to do our... Yeah, we'll do our Our outro. finishing move now. Yep. yep. Um, where do where do they find us? They find us at our, our brand new domain, bxpcast.com. Uh, you yes. can also send us an email, like Liam did, to ask to be on the show. Um, or send us some cool messages. We've gotten lots of cool messages. Um, you can send us an email at bonusexpcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also give us a shout out on Twitter. We are bonus exp cast there too. Uh, Ray, where can they find you? Uh, if you just want to just talk to me, I'm Ray underscore Cole on and Twitter. It, and if you want to talk to just me, I am at Zenith Sun. And um, that's it, I think. That I was, mean, I'm Liam, did you good. want to? Did he already give? Did he already give your personal Twitter? I can't remember. My brain. Yeah, it's oh, right, okay. All right, cool, cool, cool. So yeah, uh, thanks for having us. Thanks for having what? us? What the Thanks fuck? For- <laughs> uh. You're welcome. Come back to presenting the next bonus experience episode. And uh, what do we always say at the end of our episodes, Liam? Uh, stay, st- clean your... Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Mailed it. Right on. Uh, we'll just change it if we want to. Yeah, change it if you want to. Okay, everybody get out. Yeah, that means you too. Get... I was just joking, or actually, I have to get out. Thanks for listening. Bonus Experience is written and produced by Monica and Ray. Our theme music is Reuse Noise with the Light by CDK and is used under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons License. Our logo and art were designed by Nito Studios. Check her out on Instagram and Facebook. This podcast grants advantage to your next GMing role. We'll see you next time.